Welcome to Live, Leadership, Innovation, Ventures, and Entrepreneurship, a podcast that showcases the talents, skills, and abilities of UT faculty, staff, and students. I'm your host, Brandon Jones, Associate Director for Student Learning and Development in Housing and Dining, and we're excited to have you listening to us. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have a very, very special guest with us in the form of or the person of none other than Neil Kaufman. Neil serves as the sustainability coordinator for us here in housing and dining. And he's here to talk to us about uh, the significance of Earth Day and some of the work that he does uh, with us here in housing and dining and some of the cool ways that you as students, faculty and staff and future students, faculty and staff can get involved. Neil, how are you doing today? Doing great, Dr. Jones. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Listen, before we dive into our questions, why don't you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a lifelong environmentalist. Grew up in San Antonio, Texas. And while I was in San Antonio, I was uh, a Boy Scout and did lots of adventures outdoors and Mm -hmm. um, worked at a summer camp in the Texas Hill Country where I got to teach environmental merit badges and teach uh, uh, about plants and, and the animals and um, kind of fell in love with the environment. And then from there, I, I went to school at Texas State University where I got my uh, degree in wildlife biology. And so I wanted to kind of make a career out of studying those plants and animals. And so yeah, I while I was in school, I um, uh, I also dabbled in uh, horticulture, um, kind of on the opposite side of campus uh, in the horticulture department, where I was part of the Bobcat Blend program, which is an on-campus composting group. And so we basically collected all the food waste around campus and composted it uh, on a site just past the, the outlet malls in San Marcos. So I learned a lot about waste management and composting from the back of house to the finished product and everything in between. And so I was doing that while I was, again, studying, being able to identify different species of snakes and all the different plants. And so it was a a really great uh, experience um, to kind of see really both sides of sustainability of kind of the, the front lines of the environmental issues and also kind of the, the more, tangible, relatable side of sustainability, which is, you know, things like waste management and and food sustainability. So with that, I got my degree and then I found out about this really cool program in Ecuador. And I just kind of flew off to Ecuador for a few months and lived in a, lived in a, yeah, I lived in a, they call it a casa de bambu, a bamboo house in in the middle of this jungle. Uh, It was was about 10 miles off the equator and um, in this rainforest. And it was the lowest elevation rain cloud forest in in all of um, Ecuador and beautiful property. And um, it's just incredible space and, and getting to see the pure front lines of environmentalism and how to work with the community to build environmental issues uh, and, and create environmental solutions that doesn't say, okay, let's build a wall around this property and say no development. Let's teach the folks in, in this community how to grow certain crops that actually help grow the forest back instead mm-hmm. of destroy the forest. I mean, I would literally run into poachers on our property. And so having to like experience that and address that um, was, again, I think a a really informative part of my um, learning as an environmentalist. So then uh, a few months later, I got hired at UT Austin. 
Wow. So I've, I've worked with you since 2017 and I'm just now on this show discovering the depth and this, this, these rich experiences that you have, like me, I did not know that about you, Neil. Like, so t- let's, let's, let's go back a quick second. Cause you, you've put, you put a lot of stuff out there and I, and I want to unpack a couple of those things. So you talked about falling in love with just the environment and learning more about it. You talked about dabbling in horticulture and that you just developed this love for nature and the animals. So you're, you're, you're kind of, out there, not just in the dirt, but you're in the trees, you're in the weeds, you're in the the trash too, because you're also trying to help protect and and save the environment. Where did all that come from? Did it start with the Boy Scouts or was there just something about being outside? Like I'm I'm getting a sense it's something about being outside, but talk, talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So even though you may not know those details about me, uh, even though we've worked together for, for a few years, I argue that everything that I do in our work in UHD is is a reflection of, of those experiences. Mm. And, and so, I don't know, I, there's a way I think you could even uh, kind of reverse engineer. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Like, no, that's cool, man. Yeah. So, but, but to answer your question, I, I think it was being outdoors and seeing just like wanting to know what was around me, wanting to be able to identify all the plants that I could see. Mm-hmm. And, and then I also had this kind of rebellious spirit where I wanted to find these controversial issues and develop the science around it to prove wrong. So my first, I guess, battleground was on the ash juniper, which is this, for people who have been around Texas long enough, know, okay, this is cedar fever, that kind of thing. Yep. And, and everybody knows to like, just hate that tree. And you know, it's a tree worth hating, but I wanted to be the defender of a tree. And so, huh. so I turns out it's a native tree and it's a tree that's maligned beyond really what it should be because it's it was thought of to be uh, invasive. It's a native tree that is overpopulated because humans are misusing the land. We have poor mm. management. And so this tree just overpopulates. So this kind of discovery for me of realizing that humans are the cause of this thing that we're blaming this tree for. We're the reason why this tree is native oh. is, is actually, you know, so, so that, that kind of thing um, and wanting to explore that further and like and find more of those complexes in in our society is is really kind of what drove me even to sustainability is really finding these like how do we break apart these issues that are more complex than they may give on the first so you said well one you're gonna have a lot of people mad at you because I know that for all the allergy sufferers out there, we're, we're constantly blaming because I did I never struggled with cedar fever or really mosquito or anything like that until I moved down here. I grew up in East Texas. And so we got pine trees everywhere. And so for me, uh, the only thing that I, that would really flare up for me would be ragweed. And that would be maybe once or twice a year. But when I got down here, oh, my gosh, having to adjust to that. And what I hear you saying is that. This thing that we're blaming on this tree is technically our, or or is for all intents and purposes, our fault. That's interesting. We would still experience the, the cedar allergies, whether or not the, the tree uh, was, you know, confined to the ravines that it was, uh, you know, natively adapted to. Um, uh-huh. We don't we don't say okay, pollen's high, let's get rid of all the wildflowers. Um, but uh-huh. we only say that with the cedar, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so but cedars, uh, you know, we don't say that about cats. Like okay, let's just let's just. Yeah. Pull yeah. all the cats. <laughs> 
you know, there's other motivations for folks to kind of malign this tree. But again, I, I kind of use that as like a launching pad for these issues of, um, you know, what, what else is maligned uh, or should be maligned in our, mm-hmm. in our society that, um, that, you know, we should be kind of turning our attention towards. So that was just kind of a, a starting point for me. Yeah. And, and another thing that you talked about earlier was also this curiosity that you had. Now, a lot of our a lot of our audience uh, is students, uh, future students included. Talk to the audience about the importance of remaining curious about uh, those things that you were curious about as a kid and why even for those parents who are listening like myself uh, who have young kids I have a five-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter and talk about why it's important to stoke the fire of that curiosity so young yeah for sure you know for me the so like my just in my chores like um so I, I think I felt like I was born to just work in science and to be a scientist and, mm-hmm. and so you know just my job was taking the the food scraps out to the compost bin when I was growing up and my mom didn't really know anything about composting uh and so she was just like yeah here's this bin that was here when we moved in so just take this stuff out there and I don't know, figure it out. And and so, I don't know, for me, it was a way to, instead of just doing it, I got to like spend more time out there and, mm-hmm. and not do my other chores. Cause I, I could just kind of <laughs> like really drain into that. And so, um, and then it was kind of exploring gardening and, and pulling weeds. And as I was pulling weeds, okay, trying to figure out uh, which weeds we should actually keep and which weeds we shouldn't keep. Mm-hmm. And then mowing the lawn, it was like, okay, if I mow in this certain way that certain way how, it was almost a way of like getting out of chores or uh ah. manipulating my chores i guess there, um, there was a lot of curiosity kind of based on that but you know and, and there's other forms of curiosity that took uh, of, of even kind of i guess rebellion in a way in a way so mm-hmm. uh positive rebellion so one example is my eagle project so in boy scouts you know there's a an eagle project kind of the capstone program of, of the scouting program, that project, which was, I built a garden uh, right outside the band hall of the high school I was at. And that came, that idea came about because uh, I was thinking of this idea of uh, ninja gardening, you know, of course, graffiti and vandalism is always bad, but what if, what if there's a version of graffiti or vandalism that like no one would complain about, which is to build a garden, you know, that's uninvited, but like, who's going to complain about that? And so I, I was going to do that. I was just going to like build a garden and, and see, what the what the without anybody knowing about it without anybody knowing about it without permission and then uh and then seeing like oh what are they gonna do like suspend me right (laughs) and and then i realized oh you know i should probably just turn this into my evil project (laughs) nice so So let's talk let's talk more about that too because i noticed that in more urban areas we're starting to to see a lot of that that you know a lot of not just ninja gardening but people really taking those abandoned plots of land or these areas that have been littered with trash and turning them into uh, community gardens. I know at Paul Quinn College, they took their football field and turned it into a gigantic community garden for the people. Uh, You know, Michael, President Michael Sorrell did that. My grandfather also did that same thing. Him and his buddy up the street, they bought this corner lot. And instead of putting a house on it, they built a corner garden and ran it for a couple of years. And then I think they ultimately ended up selling that plot of land. But talk about that concept of land use. And also, I want you to elaborate a little bit more on that ninja gardening concept. Just the, hey, let's instead of doing, you know, graffiti, let's go just out of nowhere, make a garden pop up and see and see what happens. Let's talk, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's an interesting concept because, you know, we look at a lawn and a lawn, you know, is a lot of uh, it's an open space with just mm-hmm. 
one plant. I, ideally, right, for it to be a, a lawn that's desirable, it's just one plant. And, and that's a St. Augustine grass or something like that. And that ha- that takes up a lot of water um, and it requires a lot of water, but it also doesn't hold a lot of water. So in, in rain events, big flooding events, it actually causes lots of problems. Um, we found that in the Wimberley floods of 2015, a lot of the damage was caused by the building of lawn, replacing riparian or riverside areas with lawns all the way down to the riverbank. So when we look at a lawn space and, and again, want to see this monoculture, want to see this open space, I mean, imagine the diversity that we could have, the the productivity that we could have with just like a little corner of that mm-hmm. and how much people we could feed with even just a small corner, how much community we could build. Um, because, I mean, I think that's even a bigger impact than, than even the food is how much community is built just by gardening. And so, I mean, you know, folks who live in, in, in houses as they walk around their, uh, the, the block, see the gardens, and, and that's like a big talking point with neighbors as they walk around their yards. Plants bring people together. Food brings people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, planting food especially brings people together. It and does. So community gardens is a huge, huge community builder. And so I just imagine an open field and converting even just a small portion of that to a community garden and the productivity with respect to nutrition being cons- uh, of, of, of created and, and community being created is just massive. And so, yeah, ninja gardening uh, to, to go off of that is, um, is a way of, of even finding, uh, you know, in a, such a dense space, let's say the 40 acres mm-hmm. um, where every centimeter is accounted for by our, you know, the, the tower knows every little corner of campus. How, do, how, you know, can we, take advantage of little pockets that maybe could be used a little bit better. And so, uh, by the way, we have a phenomenal landscaping services crew. I, I, I work with them on a constant basis. And they, the folks who do that are like the hippiest hippies. And I love it. They, <laughs> they, can, they you, you may not see this always, but um, some, sometimes folks will notice this, that uh, inside the business school, they'll plant instead of some daisies, they'll plant Swiss chard, right? Cause Swiss yeah. colors. And, and so that's kind of a form of ninja gardening too, is, uh, how can we introduce something, you know, instead of just a boxwood shrub, how can we introduce maybe something native? It's or- interesting you say that, though, Neil. It's because when I worked at the University of Tennessee, outside of one of the high traffic areas on campus, somebody was growing like an old wooden barrel. They they put some potting soil in there and somebody started growing peppers. Uh, and it was just weird because you just be walking by and it's like, can I, can I, can I take this? And people would actually like students would actually be grabbing peppers on their way to class and would take them back to their apartments. And I always, at least I hope they were peppers. They look like peppers to me, <laughs> but I have seen that. And I didn't understand that concept until you just explained that. And that immediately made me think about uh, my experience there and how like just in in a random barrel outside of the buildings, they looked like they were a part of a gardening project, but instead of flowers, peppers were there. That's, that's a phenomenal concept, Neil. Yeah. And, and something that I'm working on with a staff member who, who has no affiliation with sustainability or, or mm-hmm. landscaping. She just, I think she works in like remote learning or something. Sure. Uh, and, and she's, uh, her name's Lita. And she was just like really passionate about this, just this idea of ninja gardening. And so mm-hmm. her and I started working together with Jim Kars, who's the director of landscape services. And we're going to be working with staff council to mm-hmm. create these troughs, like a water trough, uh, we would place around campus, a number of them would place around campus, fill it with landscaping soil and have a vegetable garden that would be kind of maintained by staff. So it would be like a, oh, wow. 
it would be like a community garden, you know, in little corners of campus uh, that would be kind of assigned to any staff member on campus who'd be interested in it. So, so that's another concept of, I guess, a way of empowering our community and bringing our community together through gardening. Mm-hmm. So you said something else a second ago about about being a hippie. And I think that that's something that like immediately sometimes when we think about sustainability and environmentalism, everybody immediately thinks somebody long hair, long beard, glasses like you and me are wearing right now. And I'm like that. But that's not true. Like when I when, you know, when I met you, I'm like, that's our sustainability. guy. I'm like, that's cool, because, you know, you you you, you identify as a scientist. And for me, I'm like, that's different because most people, again, most people, at least I'm I'm making a a generalization, but a lot of the times when students even think about sustainability and awareness, I think that the one thing that they immediately just jump to is recycling. And sometimes a person jumps to composting, but rarely, if ever, do I hear a student or even a parent talking about like, no, that person doing that work, that's a scientist actually helping our environment. How do you navigate that perception, uh, if you will. I think uh, in order to approach uh, sustainability, um, whether folks are just a citizen wanting to recycle better or they're professional, you know, there's a science aspect that they have to approach. They can have that kind of what we think of as like a hippie ideology around it, or they can have, I don't know, even a more conservative buttoned up, you know, ideology, whatever motivates people. if it's if it's uh, this curiosity that motivates people, if it's this you know wanting to protect the trees that motivates people, or if it's wanting to save resources because they don't like wasting things, mm-hmm. um, whatever motivates people, uh, I think that's a that's a an entry point and something that we can you know work towards and, and kind of open up from there and find mm-hmm. uh, bigger ways to introduce other bigger sustainability concepts. So for folks that, again, we think of as hippies, uh, that's fairly easy. Uh, and, and in fact, oftentimes I have to kind of push back on the other side and say, well, we actually can't turn the football field, our football field, <laughs> into <community> garden. <laughs> like, right. That's a long part. Um, or we can't, you know, like, like there's things we, we just we just can't do. Those actually, I think, as a community that, you know, I work with obviously on a, on a regular basis and but I, I'm usually working as <laughs> to like, wait, look, I we came from the same place. We, we're on the same side, but like, you know, we have to find right what the starting point is. So so yeah, that's um an interesting uh question about what sustainability is and how it kind of fits within mm-hmm. types of, of hippies versus, you know, business or, or, just every, or just an everyday student or something. Yeah. yeah. And I, and the thing that I like, uh, since I've been at UT, I know that the thing that I enjoy is that I think you all have an approach. We, I should say, have an approach to making this fun. You know, I never, you know, and I want you to talk about this here in just a second, but I never see people working our gardens that we have in our respective spaces on campus looking sad. They're having fun out there. You know, when you all brought in the uh, hydroponic system, I was like, I was nerding out about that because I'm like, oh my goodness, we got a whole hydroponic system here on our campus and students get to work that or anybody. It's not just you all in the sustainability office. And I love how you all have made it a shared kind of approach to 
the learn not only the learning but also the facilitation whether it be with the farm stand uh the gardens uh the fact that we incorporate a lot of that into what we put in our dining halls for me that drew me in and i also uh just am fascinated and want you to talk a little bit about the different efforts that you all have taken to divert waste from landfills. Can you talk about the efforts that just within the last three to four years that you all have done to do that? Because I think it's important for the parents who are getting ready to send their kids here to see like, look, we're trying to have an impact in this area and your student can do that by making certain decisions with what they consume and how they get rid of uh, the waste that comes from that. Can you talk about that for us? Sure. So, you know, we have a big footprint on campus. Uh, you know, it's not just the 40 acres. Uh, it's the amount of, of food that we purchase to feed our residents and feed our community and the impact that that food has on, on its environment. It's also the amount of waste that we produce and where that ends up going and the, the footprint that has. It's the energy that we consume, uh, the water that we consume. So we have a big, big impact. And the, the question is, you know, what can we do to reduce that and something that I'm kind of chasing beyond what is our day-to-day impact on the 40 acres mm-hmm. is what is our impact beyond the 40 acres, uh, both as a research institution, as a point of marker for other institutions around the country mm-hmm. and other communities, um, but then also for our population. We have an ever-changing population, and so they go off to the real world, <laughs> right? And they, right. They, they're decision makers. They become in some cases, a secretary of state, or they become business leaders, they, right. they, they do big things. And so uh, we hope and we expect. And so uh, if we introduce these uh, really important mindsets of sustainability in this four years that they have, to, that they're expecting to learn a lot and to do mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. then that has an outsized effect on just our footprint on the 40 acres, right? Mm-hmm. So like, again, I'm, uh, we're working, of course, towards reducing our impact, but like, I, I'm really like chasing after that how do we make that mental impact? <laughs> how do we how do we input yeah. that, those values into our students' minds so that they can go and become sustainability champions wherever they go? Uh, after I that? love that mindset because that's what because that's a part of for, for uh, the folks that don't know within housing and dining. Uh, our, one of our learning goals uh, we've got three. And one of them is self-management. The second one is community engagement. And the third is intercultural competency. And within that self-management, we want our students to make responsible decisions. And so, uh, and not only that, having we ultimately by living with us, we don't want to create just good residents. Uh, and that's what Neil, Neil, that's what I hear you saying. We don't want to just create good people while they're here on for the four years. We want, we want to produce the kind of neighbors we want living in our neighborhoods, the kind of teachers teaching our kids and the doctors that are going to help keep us healthy. And so we're, we're trying, what I hear you saying is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear you saying is we're trying to help pr- create the kind of citizens we want in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and of course, at UT, we, we're, uh, what is it? The what starts here changes the world, right? We're creating right. leaders. And so how do we optimize those leaders for a world that, that we need, that we're going to desperately need? And so uh, whether that's diversity and inclusion, that's, uh, that's civics engagement, or that's mm-hmm. sustainability, or even just like accounting and, and those kind of things, of you know, all of those uh, issues are, of course, important. And so is sustainability and, and just sustainable living. I know that we're not going to be able to supply the uh, $300,000 or something like that a year on cantaloupe, right? right. So like, we're not going to be able to supply that from our little campus gardens. But if we can grow one, 
and 10 people were involved in growing that one and see that and get to like even cut it open and share it and taste it. And they take that for the rest. I mean, like I kind of take it for granted because I've been gardening all my life and I've been working in the soil all my life. But like people who who aren't ag people and get to do that and experience that they will hold on to that forever and they will take those values with them. And we'll do that. Of course, we'll still supply what we can to the dining halls, but, mm-hmm. but again, we're trying to use that as a tool for uh, impact rather than reduction of footprint. Cause again, we're, we know we can't, we can't actually physically do a lot, um, mm-hmm. but we can do a lot intellectually and, and, and do a lot uh, for our community. Nice. Neil, let me ask you this. Talk a little bit more about the community gardens that we have on campus, Uh, because for me, I know that when we do like Explore UT and when we're doing when I see admissions doing tours and I walk by one of our gardens every single day uh, whenever I, I, I park on campus and I'm over at Jester. Talk about the community gardens and who all gets to work those gardens. Yeah. So we have, uh, so the UT Farm Stand is the name of our uh, program. And uh, program is designed uh, around three different teams, I guess. And those mm-hmm. teams are the garden team, the market team, and the zero waste team. Mm-hmm. And so the teams are, are built around this concept uh, to represent a sustainable food system. So food is grown, food is distributed, and food is, is wasted or it's, it's um, discarded. And so if we can like focus on those and these, those three teams and showcase this the circular system, then that's kind of our, that's our goal. Um, so with our gardens, we have these two campus gardens, the Jester Garden and the Kinsolving Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in those gardens, we grow produce, uh, we grow fruits and Jester Garden in particular, you know, it's in a big green cage and that cage is, uh, isn't to keep people out, it's to keep the squirrels out. <laughs> and uh, uh, right. when it's doing a good job, it, it does keep the squirrels out. But that, that cage contains uh, 20 hydroponic garden towers funded by the uh, the Green Fund Committee. Real and, quick, explain to our listeners what a hydroponic garden is. Yeah, so hydroponic uh, is where the nutrients are dissolved in a, in a water solution uh, for the plants, and, and that is circulated around, and the, the plant's not in soil at all. It's just ta- uptaking the, those water and that the nutrients dissolve in that water. So it's it's we think of uh, plants in the soil, so this would be just like we give exactly what the plants need through that dissolved uh, nutrients in the water. Love it. So, so yeah, so we have those 20 hydroponic towers. So with the hydroponic, they're more productive. They are uh, more heat resistant and, and uh, cool resistant. So they, this is kind of a natural season extender. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, so we can grow lettuce pretty much all year round in these things, whereas in the ground, we wouldn't be able to. There's less pests involved with it because there's no that soil-borne pests aren't a factor. Uh, and so even though it's a water-based thing, we're, we're using up to 95% less water than in the ground because it's being recirculated. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's more sustainable. It's something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of uh, in the future. So that's why we wanted to invest in, in getting those because, you know, we've been gardening, farming for the same way for 10,000 years since the dawn mm-hmm. of agriculture. So sure. let's explore new technologies. And that's, that's what we're doing. Wow. No, thank you for sharing that. What are the benefits? Or let me ask you this. Are there any self-care or restorative benefits to being in a garden? Because for you, you're attracted to the soil. You're drawn to it. But then I know that there are some students who they're not environmentalist majors, they're business majors or they're art majors and they come and they participate in these experiences. And I've heard students talk about just being able to get in the garden and clear their minds. Are there, are there, in your opinion, are there any benefits to being out there in the dirt and out in nature? What are the benefits of that? 
Yeah, th you know, th there's um, it's a great question because there are enormous benefits, and and this isn't just like my opinion or my experience, but sure. a lot of science around um, being outdoors uh, and working in gardens and and just being active, and so uh, there's really strong effects on grades and mental health mm. and physical health uh, and, and just social health. I mean, literally every metric there's positive effects from something like working in the gardens. And so we, even though I have a, a team of uh, team students who that we we've hired to work the gardens, maintain the gardens, it's been their mandate for the last five years uh, of our team to utilize their position and utilize their the space as way that they facilitate the space for other volunteers mm -hmm. so that way they're not just the only they're not hogging all the, the benefit to themselves right so how right. do we how do we invert the open that cage so to speak um of our gardens mm. and allow folks in so that and that's why we we renovated the the uh just your garden a few years ago to make it more spacious so we can have more people in there um we've also integrated a south asia garden so this is a, a way that we're we've kind of wanted to celebrate um you know, other, I don't know, when we think of urban gardening, you think of, I don't know, you think of probably somebody who looks exactly like me, mm -hmm. um, maybe with a little more tattoos or something like that. Uh, and, and, and just like out there doing gardening, but, but honestly, so much of what we garden and, and so much of the ways that we garden comes from cultures that we wouldn't have, we, we don't necessarily uh, think about as, as being mm -hmm. influenced. Mm -hmm. And and that happens to be South Asia. And so uh, we partnered with the South Asia Institute uh, last year to, and got funded to build the South Asia garden uh, just outside the Jester gardens. Mm -hmm. And so that is designed by uh, Ty Casey. He's a landscape architect for UT. And, and so it's designed with South Asian uh, concepts in mind with South Asian plants. We're going to be adding signage and stuff like that. So it's a way to like showcase and demonstrate the the value of other so many cultures in our um in, in our everyday agriculture. And, and the other thing I, I should also say is there's other gardens on campus, of course, that um, community gardens that we don't that that aren't managed by UT Farmston. So the micro farm is one of them. So that's uh, on 51st and Guad. It's uh, in the intramural fields, and uh, and they have about a half an acre there. And they non-COVID times they'll have groups uh, who are looking for volunteer hours and they can facilitate dozens and dozens of people. And so they, they get a lot of help there. And, and, and of course they get a lot of, they do a lot of help too, in, in promoting um, and adding value to, you know, the overall mental health of our campus community. No, that's, Neil, that's an amazing experience. And I think that uh, when you were talking about those benefits, I'm thinking about the pandemic and I'm thinking about um, our students who, um, you know, are experiencing we're experiencing isolation and we're experiencing just uh, all kinds of matters of just being away from home and not feeling like they're connecting with the campus community. And remember, our second learning goal uh, is community engagement. And so a lot of the times I've heard of schools saying that they got away from service opportunities or or, you know, a lot of a lot of our institutions uh, around the world weren't thinking about gardens as still being a safe space for students to get out and engage and do something other than go to the residence hall or go to the dining hall and then that's it. Did you all see an uptick or an increase or anything like that in students volunteering or uh, anything like that during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've been having to turn people away since day one. I mean, because oh, wow. we, we, you know, the spaces are relatively small and, and, mm -hmm. and even made smaller by a pandemic. And so we're restricted by 
how many workdays we can have and, and how many people in each workday. And so, right. yeah, we're, we're every workday we have, we um, we have to turn people away, which is not what we want to do, but of course, what we yeah. force to do. But yeah, safety. Um, yeah, of course, that is safety, and and, uh, and we also want to value the, the comfort of, of our staff and, and everybody. So, but yeah, so we it's hard to say, but uptick. I, I imagine that there is. But I just know that we turn people away uh, every every workday we have. Yeah. So uh, I I know we're getting close to time here. I just I guess with the last thing, what's coming up uh, with you know since our governor has announced that you know we're that we're reopening and with the, our president of the university has announced that we're going to try to open to near normal. What's the plan for your team and your area and some of the cool things you all have coming up uh, next year that students, faculty and staff and our campus community can get excited about? Yeah, I mean, I would say so. First of all, more of the same, uh, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the UT Farm Stand Farmers Markets, we're going to be having those in the fall. Uh, our, our community gardens, the Jester and the Consulting Gardens, more zero waste programs. Like we're going to be reintroducing composting for now in the back of house, so in the kitchens and where we're doing that. Um, we're going to be reintroducing that shortly. And, and ultimately in the front of house, we'll be reintroducing composting. We're also going to be rolling out, re-rolling out uh, a new and improved Zero Waste Hero program. And of course, nice. that uh, Brandon, Dr. Jones, to your help that you've helped us uh, kind of reimagine that uh, that program. And, and so uh, that's a a way to train and offer the certification program for students that are interested in knowing more about zero waste and what, what goes where and why that, why that is. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be doing that in, in next fall. There's going to be lots of uh, uh, volunteer programs, not just with our gardens, not just with our markets, not just with zero waste, but throughout um, all things sustainability. So as sustainability becomes more integrated um, uh, between all different landscaping and, and office of sustainability mm-hmm. and energy and utilities, we want to really kind of, you know, lean on our the sustainability master plan, which has been developed over five years ago. And, and we want to lean on that to, uh, to, to really look at how to involve academics, involve campus community, involve the community at large, mm-hmm. uh, and utilize everything we have in front of us as a, as a living lab. So whether that's food service or that's the utilities and that when water conservation uh, landscape services. So, so yeah, that's kind of um, the big scope uh, of things to come for as we reopen. No, I appreciate that. Listen, Neil, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much to our audience. Thank you all for listening and we hope you all have a great week. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To catch the next installment, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. This podcast was recorded and edited in collaboration with the LAITS Development Studios Audio Department. More information can be found at liberalarts.utexas.edu slash LAITS. The intro song was composed by Ian Herrera, and you can find his work at ianherrera.com. The outro song was composed by Noah Keller, and you can find more of his work at noahdkeller.com. We'll see you next time.